Welcome to It's Your Community with Vanessa Denha, a public affairs presentation of News Talk 760 WJR. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to It's Your Community. I'm Vanessa Denha Garmo here. What if presidents had opted to wear a bulletproof vest and avoided assassination? What if Coke just changed its age-old formula as a devious way to increase sales. I actually watched a documentary on that. What if Burt Reynolds had said yes to the role of James Bond? These are all the questions that Michael Smith and his co-author, Eric Kassam, dare to ask in their new Laugh Out Loud audiobook, 100 of the Worst Ideas in History, Humanity's Thundering Brainstorms, turned blundering brain farts with notice results. Mike, thanks for joining us here in It's Your Community to talk with us about this new audiobook. Well, my pleasure. Good to be here, Vanessa. So tell us what prompted you and Eric to even put together this audiobook. Well, both Eric and I are writers. I run my own video advertising agency. And Eric is a former speechwriter for President George W. Bush. He's written for the LA Times, New York Times, CBS News. So we can kick around ideas all day long. And we have a great appreciation for what it takes to come up with a good idea and a lot of empathy and sympathy when a seemingly good idea goes terribly wrong. It goes so, south. <laughs> so we, we, had, we put our heads together and we had a Rolodex, let's say, of some really bad ideas. We had about 20 of them when we first started and we said, well, that's probably not enough for a book. So we did some research. It took us about three years to put this together. And the result is, uh, is this silly kind of humorous, irreverent uh, celebration of some of mankind's most astonishing, as we say, faux pas, foibles, and follow-ups. So did you guys have a goal of 100, or were you surprised you came up with 100 when it came to the final product? Well, we thought it would be a challenge, but I'll tell you, once we hopped into it and started looking around, we found quite a few uh, bad ideas. I mean, we found the famed archeologist whose discovery of the missing link is later revealed to be a monkey jaw glued to a human skull. Oh uh, we found the US <laughs> president who starts each day skinny dipping in the Potomac, the hit singing duo who failed to tell everybody that they can't really sing. Oh uh, yeah. The, the, Are you the talking about Millie Vanilli? Millie Vanilli. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah. the, uh, and then the innovative uh, snack food company that uh, markets cookies and crackers that caused this terrible thing called anal leakage. Uh, so there was many, many opportunities uh, to find these fo uh, foibles and faux pas. You know, I recently just watched a documentary on Coke changing its old formula. Uh, and you kind of, like as a marketing tool, this fight against Pepsi. That I never knew that. I, I had forgotten about it. Actually, it was during my lifetime, but I had forgotten about it. Um, so that was one of the big, big faux pas for a major company like Coke. Was there others that surprised you when you came across them? Like, oh my gosh, what were they thinking? Well, yeah, and I'll I'll tell you if you have a moment about the uh, the skinny dipping president is one that's really uh, yeah kind that's of, I'd like to know more about that. That, that, <laughs> is one, that is one where you sat there and you said, "Oh, really? Uh -huh. Did that really happen?" Uh -huh. So as I said, uh, this is, we call this one in the book the skinny dipping president, and uh, it gives a uh, crack of dawn a whole new meaning. Because uh, each morning, President John Quincy Adams sneaks down to the Potomac, undresses and proceeds to skinny dip with the ducks and geese, as we say, while naked as a jaybird. So there's a newspaper reporter named Anne Royal who hears about it, and she hides out in the uh, Potom uh, Potomac's foliage and catches the unsuspecting president in the buff. 
Wow. So she uh, she takes his clothes and holds them ransom until he agrees to grant her a long-awaited interview he's been putting off. So he gets his clothes back. She gets the interview. Uh, she doesn't mention his, uh, shall we say, ballsy morning escapades. But, <laughs> but, soon, but soon word gets out that it always does in Washington. And now Adams is swimming in a pool of, uh, shall we say, uh, national ridicule and, and uh, shame. Yeah. So as a result, his administration's policy agenda stalls, and he's soundly defeated for re-election in 1828 by Andrew Jackson. And in the end, the electorate considered Adams' sagging credibility and saggy backside and concluded the emperor has no clothes. Wow. <laughs> that's that's a wrap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is. <laughs> that's a wrap. You know what? Um, that makes me think too, Mike, that the level of the Secret Service was not at the level that it is today. I can't imagine uh, anybody anybody being able to steal the president's clothes for an interview. Well, there's it's another example. There's another example of that too that I can tell you about, where because of this event, the Secret Service was instituted. And prior to it, there wasn't Oh, a oh okay. So this goes back, we call this one, make your meeting or else meet your maker. Mm. So it's the summer of 1901, and President William McKinley is, newly, he's newly elected, and he's a pretty busy guy. He's uh, too busy, his staff uh, decides, to meet with an inventor, a guy named Casimir Zeglin who's offered to uh, fit the commander-in-chief with a snazzy new piece of outerwear. And instead, uh, McKinley's people delay the meeting until after he returns from a trip to the Pan American Exposition in my hometown of Buffalo. Uh, at the exposition, McKinley is confronted by this angry anarchist, I think his name was Leon Zglaz, who shoots the president in the chest and abdomen. And eight days later, mm -hmm. sadly, McKinley is dead. So shortly thereafter, a member of McKinley's staff recalls the postponed meeting with Zeglin, and they check it out in the, in the scheduling book. And as it uh, turns out, Zeglin was uh, set to fit McKinley with his groundbreaking new invention, the bulletproof vest. Wow. So procrastination mm -hmm. led to the assassination of America's 25th president. And after that, and prior to that, uh, I should say, it was local police who were in charge of security for a president whenever they visited or he visited a town. Oh. And after that, the uh, Congress instituted the Secret Service for the uh, ongoing protection of presidents. Well, that's a little bit of history I did not know. Uh, yes. We're talking with Mike Smith uh, Mike Smith here this morning on Nature Community. He and his colleague, Eric Kassam, they put together a hundred of the worst ideas in history in an audio book form. And before we continue the conversation, Mike, about what's in the book itself, how do we hear the book? How do we listen to the book? Well, you can find it at audible.com. It's on Amazon and on iTunes. And uh, as we said earlier, the, the book uh, did pretty well as a printed piece. So we decided, given my background as an audio, uh, uh, you know, audio producer and video producer, to, uh, to construct it as an audio book as well. And it's got uh, some of my Hollywood voiceover friends in it. It's got myself and Eric's voice in it, lots of music and sound effects. So it's a lot of fun. It kind of brings the stories to life in the way the printed piece really can't. 
You know, Mike, I think it's like perfect timing for an audiobook as we head into the spring and, and summer months, especially in a state like where we are in Michigan, uh, where you really covet the sunny days where you're going to, a lot of people drive uh, on vacation here in Michigan. We have beautiful, beautiful Northern Michigan. So it's a great book to listen to on your drives on vacation around town. Yeah, I think so. And it's, you know, what's kind of fun about it is that each story is only about two minutes long. So oh. even, if you're just, even if you're just going up to the uh, to the store, you can hear a story or two and on the way home hear two more stories. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's a lot of fun if you're exercising, if you're taking a long walk, if you're driving. Uh, you know, it's history, but in small doses mm -hmm. and with a lot of laughs thrown in. Well, my favorite thing to do on my walks is to listen to audiobooks or a podcast. So I'm going to definitely download this one. And it's a great Father's Day gift. We're heading into Father's Day. Uh, oh, yeah. that would be a fun Father's Day. Either the, is the printed version still available to purchase? Yeah, you can get that uh, on Amazon as well or barnesandnoble.com, Goodreads. Uh, you can also get it at our website, 100worstideas.com. So, yes, the book is still out there. It's done well. We even had a translation. I don't understand this one exactly, but that's fine with me. It, it's translated into Portuguese, and it's sold uh, pretty well in Brazil. Wow. Okay. <laughs> why. It just has. All right. Well, that's cool. We'll take that, right? Uh, yeah. So, Mike, when you and, and uh, Eric were putting this together, I mean, how many laugh-out-loud moments did you guys have? Oh, it was a lot of fun. It never, I mean, he and I write all day long. So we come up with these ideas and we kick them around. And it, this just never felt like work to us. We did it, frankly, in our in our spare time and our weekends and at night. Mm -hmm. And it did take a while to research these and write them up in a, in a condensed form like this. In the book itself, each story is only a spread, as they call it, you know, two pages uh, with pictures and everything else. So it's a, it, it, was, it was fun because it was a different way to look at history. And one of our goals here is that since history is not really valued too much in schools these days, we thought if we made it entertaining, or as they call it these days, infotaining, mm -hmm. uh, maybe young people as well would be attracted to it because it has a lot of humanity. It has a lot of identifiability in it where you say, oh, that, that person, that historical figure is not just uh, you know, a dead guy in a date as most history is taught. These, these are real human beings who, who have foibles just like I do. And it's uh, in that way, I think it opens up the door to history being a little more accessible to all ages. You know, it'd be kind of a fun of a uh, project you do in school when you get to pick your own book to to read for history class or something like that. My daughter's had quite a few of those. This would be a fun book to pick for a, a school assignment. Well, I think so. And, you know, we we are making we are donating uh, books to local schools here in California for every book that we sell. So mm. our hope is that uh, not only does it sell well, but that uh, it opens up the door to, I think, a little bit more interest in history among young people. We're even considering, by the way, the next step in our uh, cavalcade of, of history here would be to put together a, uh, a traveling show that would go to schools. Oh, that's a good video. idea. Yeah, it would be yeah. presented live and they could ask questions and we could show images and or video of the kinds of uh, stories that we're talking about. And just, again, just make history interesting. It, yeah. It, we, you know, the old adage is we're doomed to repeat it, right, if we don't know it. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's important that, uh, that we know it, but we're not going to know it unless it is presented in a way that is not the same old dull like our fathers and mothers learned it, you know, kind of history. 
Yeah. You know, when I think about you talking about going on a traveling um, exhibition of the book and the stories that you have here, I think of like the kids uh, fifth grade wax museum that most kids around the country have to do like in fifth grade or fourth grade. Oh yeah. And they pick somebody in history. This would be kind of a fun uh, edited uh, uh, thing to do at that wax museum is show this to the parents and the kids. How fun would that be? Um, oh, yeah. And listen great. or listen to snippets of it. That would be really cool. You know, when you talk about history repeating itself, was there a part of that element for you and Eric uh, that you 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 not only wanted to make it um, entertaining and it's fun because you're talking about the hundredth worst ideas, but also informative. So we do not repeat mistakes from the past. Was that oh, yeah. part of your agenda? Part of your. Sure. I mean, they're they're you know, these are. These are entertaining and they're funny, but they're also in some cases cautionary uh, tales uh, as well. I mean, for example, in the in the uh, product section we have, and we've got you know stories from from politics and pop culture and finance and world history, and it, it, it runs the gamut. But some of the most uh, sort of heart tugging ones, uh, as well as being a, a little bit of a you know sort of a you know, palm, palm of your hand to the to, to your cranium, kind of like, how did they even think of this? Uh-huh. I think of the guy named Walter Hunt, who is a, we call him the inventor extraordinaire business bozo. But uh, we, he's the pinhead inventor who never got the point. And so he's <laughs> a really amazing guy uh, when it comes to inventing stuff. He came up with the uh, sewing machine, mm. the fountain pen, uh, most young people won't know what that is, but that was uh, really popular in the 1940s and 50s. Uh, the repeating rifle, among many others. Uh, so he's Superman when it comes to inventing stuff, but he's kryptonite when it comes to business. So while he putters around in his garage, others end up profiting from the, from the products that he creates. So one day, he's bending and shaping a common uh, piece of wire, and he fashions a revolutionary new device the safety pin, oh. and he, he wisely patents it, this uh, what we call his sharp idea, yeah. but he's also cash-strapped, so he then unwisely sells the patent rights hours later to W.R. Grayson Company for $400. This is, oh. back, this is back in oh. 1849. So the safety <laughs> pin, as we know, offers this uh, safer class for baby diapers, clothing, than traditional straight pins, which is all that they had back in those days. And it becomes a, a really essential product in American homes and businesses, earns W.R. Grace untold millions of dollars over the years for their meager $400 investment. And wow. just to put a, put a cherry on top of that cupcake, uh, the Singer Sewing Company in uh, 1858 agrees to pay Hunt the then enormous sum of $50,000 for his sewing machine design. But he takes his financial hard luck to the grave. He dies a few months later before Singer can make a single payment. But, but that's a cautionary tale. If you come up with what could be a very interesting and useful idea, yeah, let's not sell it right away you know, yeah. for a few hundred dollars. Maybe take it around to some other investors and, and uh, see, if, see if you can build on that. I, I recall, and I could be mistaken, and I don't even know if it's in the book, um, uh, Mike, but isn't it a similar story to the cartoonist who created Superman? Yes. Um, I don't have, it's not in the book. Uh, I know a little bit about that. It's, uh-huh. um, it, you know, the entertainment business, whether it be cartooning, music, movies, is, is just littered with these stories of very creative people coming up with wonderful ideas 
that they don't see the business potential of. And, and yeah. they end up selling off the rights for a few hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. And then it, it, it goes huge after that. I mean, there's also WD-40. Uh, do you know that product? I mean, that's popular. Oh, product. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's another example I'll tell you about real quick. Um, uh -huh. Guy named Lor uh, Norman B. Larson. And he's an investor, an inventor, and a chemist. And... Uh, he comes up with this, uh, he, he's got this tiny rocket chemical company. This is actually down in San Diego, by the way. Mm. Um, and they come up with 39 different formulas designed to protect the outer skin of America's Atlas rocket from moisture-borne corrosion. Mm -hmm. So on their 40th try, this little company uh, discovers a versatile recipe called WD-40, WD to connote water dispersing, Mm -hmm. And 40, the 40th attempt they had at, at making it right. Oh, okay. So, I didn't know that was where the name came from. Yeah, that's where it came from. Uh -huh. So, uh, you know, he's got this uh, this intellect of a world-class inventor and the intuition of a third-rate businessman. So he, he, sells, <laughs> he sells his interest to WD-40 operations for, for a paltry $10,000 uh, to another company, positing that he could always uh, invent something better. So mm -hmm. soon, um, they begin to find uh, great uses for the product, uh, WD-40. It's a, it's a hydrocarbon formula that's ideal for lubricating hinges and loosening screws and bolts and removing adhesives and hundreds of other imaginative applications. So in 1958, WD-40 appears in San Diego area stores. By 1960, the company doubles in size. 13 years later, it's renamed to WD-40 Company, goes public, stock uh, skyrockets 65%. And by 1993, four out of five American households are purchasing a combined 1 million cans of this uh, astonishing wow. product every week. So the, he sold it for $10,000. Its market cap is $528 billion today. Oh, so, <laughs> God, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> Think about his family, well, like his children. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, the children that, oh, my God. That was like the the the, the inventor of Coke, too. He sold oh, that yeah. He sold that patent as well for, for pennies on what it's obviously turned out to be worth. You know, Mike, it's a moral of that story and these stories that you just shared with us that maybe you have really good ideas, but you're not savvy in business and find somebody who's savvy in business and partner with somebody instead of selling it off for a small amount of money? I think that's true. I think, I think one person, it's, it's rare that you find one person who has creative and business acumen. I mean, there are the Steve Jobs of the world, but, the, but they are few and far between. So the smart thing to do, as you point out, is if you are this inventor type, this creative person, to maybe think about, uh, you know, sort of safeguarding that that invention of yours, and then bringing in a savvy business person to at least evaluate its potential, yeah. To at least see if it can go somewhere other than in your garage, yeah. And if so, develop a business plan, mm -hmm. see if you can get investors, and take it to the larger market. Yeah, it's so funny to say that because I I am a, a creative brain. I'm I'm not a 
the bit most business savvy person. Yeah, join, uh, join the club. Me yes, too. <laughs> I'm just not. But I have I have like app ideas, and I'm like I have these app ideas, but I know I don't know what I'm doing with these app <laughs> ideas. And it's like, and I was thinking I got a partner with somebody who is really tech savvy and business savvy. Um, because yeah, idea creative people have the ideas. It's just it's the executing and taking it to the next level. You know that's why great partnerships are really important. Yeah. Now. And that's fine because it's fine because one, and this is, I guess I'm talking to myself as well as your audience here, but yeah. uh, one person shouldn't have or shouldn't expect to have all of the different uh, tools in the toolbox that it takes to create a, a successful business. So if you are a creative person, as you are, and I like to think I am, then let's bring in the people uh, who, yeah. can, who can help it to, to be successful and not expect that one person, myself or yourself, can do everything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I have a coaching business as long along coaching communications business uh, along with what I do here. And I always coach clients on their strengths. It's like, you know, just because you're strong in one thing doesn't make you a failure because you're weak in something else. Use your strengths and partner with other people. I'm, I'm big into collaborating, you know, yeah. bring people on board. Um, Mike, in the book, you also talk about um, Burt Reynolds was offered the role of James Bond. Is that true? Was he really offered that role? Yes, we call this one Smokey Not Stirred. And it goes, <laughs> back to, it goes back to 1972. And the bad idea here is to turn down the iconic role of 007 in the wildly popular and forever James Bond film series. Wow. And uh, so he, Bert, was, fr and he's, he was one of my favorites back in those days, but... Uh, he was fresh from his star turn as the uh, macho river adventurer in 1972's best uh, best picture nominee, Deliverance. Oh, uh, I yes. don't know if you remember that. He oh, played yeah. the guy with the yeah. bow and arrow yeah. and, you know, the guns coming out of the sleeveless vest and the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, about that time, he was also, uh, he created a lot of buzz with his uh, semi-nude spread in Cosmopolitan magazine. Mm, okay. I don't know if you remember that. No, I don't he, remember that. Mm -mm. He was mostly naked, except he had a, a catcher's mitt over a, a certain area of the body, let's say. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> and that, it, So he was hot, right? I mean, he, yeah. was, he was the guy. All scripts went through Bert uh, first. So he's first in line for all of these coveted roles. So he's presented then with uh, what you might call the mother of all leading man roles, James Bond. And in a in a mad scramble to secure the uh, the the dashing actor who can wear the tux and tote the pistol and woo the girl, uh, producer Albert uh, Broccoli has Reynolds in his sights. Uh, but Reynolds says uh, an American can't play James Bond. That's a British role, so he turns it down and instead opts to make such uh, cinematic stinkers as Fuzz, White Lightning, and The Man Who Loved Cat Dancing. Uh, so <laughs> I guess you could say those don't really hold a, a candle uh, to the uh, to the James Bond series. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, they settled for the, the James Bond people settled for the uh, so we shall we say tongue in cheek savoir faire of Roger Moore mm -hmm. to carry the uh, Bond tradition forward. And it turns out to be a you know, multi-billion dollar bonanza that goes on for 12 years. Yeah, and that, several and James Bonds. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. And in that, in that time, Reynolds flexes his star power to make such forgettable flops as Gator, WW, and the Dixie Dance Kings, and two Smokey and the Bandit uh, gems, shall we say. Wow. So he says wow. that, uh, and he, he passed away recently, but um, 
He says he, uh, after that, he would wake up in the middle of the night uh, and, and just uh, in a cold sweat and say, Bond, James Bond, and go back to sleep. He just, uh, he ended up being bankrupt. Uh, you know, he had some messy uh, divorces along the line and, and he, uh, he died a couple of years back. So I did not know that, that he ended up with uh, financial issues. Oh, wow. Yeah, he made a, a TV show called Evening Shade that was semi-successful for a while on CBS. I remember that. Terrible, yeah, he had terrible mm-hmm. financial issues. And uh, then he got sick and got older. And yeah, and that was it. Bad. So uh, here's, here's the button on that one. Uh, a comedian named Robert Wool uh, once joked, that uh, Burt Reynolds makes so many bad movies that when someone else makes a bad movie, Burt gets a royalty. So, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was uh, appropriate for Burt's choice. What's so sad is that you really, you pass up one of the uh, best roles in, in uh, Hollywood history and yeah. end up producing all these flops. Well, well that's really sad. Yeah, he, really he, did, he didn't have good judgment when it came to his career choices. That yeah. kind of gets back to the creative versus business thing we were just talking That's about. True. That's true. He's a true. creative guy, an actor, not a good business guy. He, but he, he was a tough guy, go it alone sort of sort of type, and he paid the price. You know, this book, Mike, is really lends itself to all kinds of audiences. I mean, did you have one in particular when you put it together, you and your partner, Eric Kassam, or were, was it really produced for the general public? We thought it would be, uh, well, it, it had, a, it was a general public sort of uh, push that we had in mind, but we, we knew that people wanted information these days in small doses. I sit and write 30-second and 60-second TV and radio commercials all day long. Uh, The traditional uh, sales video that I I write used to be 10 minutes long. Now we rarely go beyond two and a half or three. Yeah. So the attention span is much shorter. Shorter. That's true. So we, the audience we had in mind were people who maybe wanted to know this kind of thing, uh, these kinds of tidbits from history. But A, we had to produce it in a very concise way, and B, it had to be infotaining, uh, to coin the term that I said uh, earlier. So the audience to us was, was anybody who's in a waiting room, who's on an airplane, who has five minutes before they got to go into a meeting. Uh, and that the format of the book and the audiobook, of course, the audiobook now allows it to be heard in cars or while exercising, uh, which I think opens up that market, or, yeah. or when traveling. Um, so, you know, we were true to the audience that maybe was interested in the events of the past, wanted to hear it in an entertaining way, and it had to be quick and concise. Yeah. I think turning this into an audiobook was a brilliant idea. It lends itself to listening entertainment. It really does. I, Mike, think so. I, I really do. Mike, before we let you go, what else do you want to share with our listeners? We've got a minute left here with you on It's Your Community. Uh, I'll do a real quick one if you want. Uh, sure. One more story. Uh, this is called ET's Mission to Mars. Award. Okay. Okay. And the year is 1981. And this bad idea comes from what we call the chocolate covered nuts at Mars Incorporated, the candy people. And they turned down perhaps the greatest product placement opportunity in movie history. So, uh, Vanessa, I, yes, I know what you're going to tell me. This is an amazing story. Go ahead. You've seen, you've seen ET. Oh, of right? course, yes. We've all seen ET. Yes. In the film, young Elliot lures the extraterrestrial out of hiding. I think he's in a closet with a trail of candy. So, ET's producers approach Mars Incorporated for permission to use 
one of their products in the film. They, they figure a visitor from another planet would most likely be attracted to the most popular candy on Earth, which uh -huh. is M&M's. Uh -huh. uh, but the space cadets, as we call them at Mars, say, <laughs> no. they, further, they further state, we don't want an alien eating our candy. It's going to frighten the children. If you can imagine the stupidity. Yeah. So uh, E.T.'s producers are stuck. They scramble to find a replacement. They stumble upon a, an obscure, largely unpopular candy Hershey has been struggling with called Reese's Pieces and a deal yeah. is struck where Hershey agrees to pay absolutely nothing for placing Reese's Pieces in the film. Zero. And in exchange, wow. they promote the movie and some of their own advertising. Well, E.T. Uh, skyrockets past uh, Star Wars to become the highest grossing film of its time. Reese's Pieces sales blast off with it. Hershey's calls it the biggest marketing coup in history. And product placement becomes a staple in TV and movies thereafter. That's unbelievable. I remember hearing that story. Unbelievable. Great story to include. Mike, thank you so much for joining us, sharing with us the hundred of the worst ideas in history, a hundred of the worst ideas in, in history now in an audiobook. So you can get the print version, the audio version. It's a great Father's Day gift. I really encourage you guys to pick it up. Thank you, Mike Smith, for joining us here in It's Your Community. My pleasure. Thank you. Any questions or comments, show topics you want us to get to, get to me, Vanessa Denhagarmo. I'm on all the social media platforms. You can also go to epiphany at ccc.com, epiphanyccc.com. I wish everyone a great week. It's your community, a public affairs presentation of News Talk 760 WJR.